For the past six years, I have been preaching through a prescribed list of scripture readings called the Narrative Lectionary. Every September, we start with one of the Bible's creation accounts in Genesis, and then each week we stop along the Bible's storyline mapping out sort of the big picture. We stay in the Old Testament right through until Christmas. And in January, we flip over to one of the four Gospels, and we stay in that Gospel exclusively until Easter. Beyond that, we work through some of the letters of the early church and themes about being the church in the world. If you've been around Knox for a while, you have probably now memorized my little spiel about the narrative lectionary. You might be able to recite it for me next fall. I try to do it at least one, two, three times in September and October. If you're newer to Knox, then this introduction is for you. I love using the narrative lectionary readings because the Bible itself can feel like a rather intimidating book. And it's not even a book at all, if we're honest. It's a library of books, or rather a compendium of writings. Some are like books, some are more like letters, or they are letters. Some are more poetry than prose. Some read like the results of a census. To add confusion, neither the Old or New Testaments are arranged chronologically. Some books repeat themselves or one another with different details. In other words, starting at page one and reading to the end of the book doesn't really flow. So when we gather on Sunday mornings, I do my best to offer you the bird's eye view of the sweeping narrative of God's interaction and relationship with creation and us by highlighting key people and events. Already this year, we've had a Sunday dedicated to Adam and Eve. We had one about Cain and Abel. This Sunday was supposed to be a reading about Jacob. But Knox, you just got two fantastic sermons about Jacob by Connie Wardle in July. So I invite you to go refresh yourself with those ones. You will find them on our YouTube channel, July 23rd and 30th. So rather than trying to shoehorn the narrative lectionary reading into today's theme of truth and reconciliation and Every Child Matters and Orange Shirt Day, I've opted to use material put out by the Presbyterian Church in Canada. So consider this a small side quest, okay, in the overall arc of the season. But also, go back and watch those sermons about Jacob. I'm not kidding. Consider this assigned homework. Today, Heather read to us the story of Naboth and his vineyard. Ahab and Jezebel were the king and queen of the Israelites at that time, and they were a wicked pair. Like, not in the cool way, in the very bad, not good people way. There are a number of stories in which they feature as the villains. And many people die because of their lack of integrity. In today's story, one person dies because of their greed. The story of Naboth's vineyard is replete with abuses of power, corruption, and disregard for human life. And it's really not that hard to make the connection to what we're learning these days about the incomprehensible damage done over the past several centuries by colonizers, including the church, here in Canada. Ahab wanted to take what was not his to take. 
but he and the queen felt it was their right to take whatever they wanted. They disposed of Naboth and took his ancestral land, his traditional land, for their own use. I want to expand this idea beyond the taking of land, which many of our ancestors participated in here in Canada. And I want to talk about taking something else, maybe even something more precious, a people's culture. Cultural genocide is the systematic destruction of traditions, values, language, and other elements that make one group of people distinct from another. When European people began to settle in the land that we call Canada, they came armed with a belief that they had an automatic right to stake their claim on it. This belief is rooted in something called the doctrine of discovery, which was developed from a series of 15th century papal decrees. That means it came from the Pope, just that aided European monarchs with territorial expansion by providing both theological and legal backing to invade and seize non-Christian lands, enslave non-Christian people in perpetuity, so forever, and to take control of their resources. The racist belief, and I'm using the word, in European Christian superiority underscored the process of colonization across the lands now called Canada, and is seen in the establishment of laws, governments, and societal norms that were based on European models, including within the church. While Canadian laws and government practices are changing over time, slowly, the long-term influence of racism and the beliefs that are articulated in the doctrine of discovery persist. This is painfully evident within the church through its complicity, complicity and participation in the residential school system, the stated goal of which was the erasure of indigenous identity and assimilation into Canadian Christian society. Cultural genocide. The primary objectives of the residential school system were to remove and isolate children from the influence of their home, families, communities, traditions, and cultures, and to assimilate them into the dominant culture that was developing. Take their clothes, cut their hair, disallow their language, alter their diet. Do this to enough children in a place over a long enough period of time, and you will break the passing of identity and tradition. You kill a culture, cultural genocide. The effects of the residential school system on indigenous communities and families across Canada cannot be overstated. On a personal note, and I've mentioned this before, um, a long time ago, but I'll share it again, I grew up, with the story, mom, Scottish, dad, French Canadian, hence my eldest being called Acadia, because I grew up believing that we were Acadien, uh, that my father and his family uh, were all descendants of French Canadians on the East Coast. 
as information was coming out about residential schools over the last few years, my mom was reflecting on conversations that she had had with my dad's grandmother about how they actually are indigenous and are descendant from the Mi'kmaqs, but didn't want to tell anyone because she was afraid her children would get scooped. And so I grew up believing one thing about my family because my family was too scared to name their tradition, their culture, and their heritage. So it's still happening. It's touching us all over the place, um, like each family, each community, communities of faith, um, family systems are being impacted by what has happened here historically and what we're learning about the residential school system. So that's something my family is struggling with even now. Of the 130 residential schools across the country, the Presbyterian Church in Canada ran 11 schools at 12 sites. I do invite you to go to the PCC's website. You can learn more about each of them. We have closed all of them, and as a denomination, we will continue to proclaim our confession and apology to Indigenous people across the country. When I wear an orange shirt, I remember this commitment as a Presbyterian, as a Canadian. I go and I read our confession again, and I listen to Indigenous voices. Wearing an orange shirt is one way to remember the intense and enduring harm that was done to Indigenous children and communities through the residential school system. It's also a way of showing support for all survivors and intergenerational survivors whose lives have been impacted by the schools. We will continue to listen to their stories and learn how to build new, respectful, life-giving relationships with all people who call this land home. King Ahab and Queen Jezebel wanted what was not theirs, which in itself, okay, not entirely unheard of. Greed is a bit of a human foible. What made their greed so evil, though, was the motivation behind it, a sense of entitlement. As the royals, they felt it was their God-given right to take whatever they wanted. Heather said, history repeats itself. Well, if it doesn't repeat, it certainly rhymes. The doctrine of discovery is a villainous and a racist part of our history in Canada as colonizers, rooted in the belief that European Christian people were superior to non-European Christian people, and that it was a European Christian's right to claim and repurpose whatever they wanted. It wasn't until, this makes me sick, it was not until 2019, a few years ago, that the Presbyterian Church in Canada finally and formally rejected this vile belief. This is good, albeit very overdue, but it is only a step. We still need to do the ongoing work of listening and learning and making changes to the laws and practices that govern this land. We need to think about how our churches are built and what are the structures we have within our places of worship that perhaps, without our even knowing it, perpetuate injustice and inequality and inequity. 
We need to take seriously the spirit of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and its calls to action. It is the right thing to do, it is the just thing to do, and it is the most faithful, the most Christ-like thing to do. Now before faith came, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Galatians, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. Therefore the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came, so that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer subject to a disciplinarian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. These are some of my absolute favorite words in all of scripture. But listen closely to what it does or doesn't mean and what it did and didn't do. It doesn't mean that we can forget the law, certainly. It doesn't mean that there aren't things that we can and should learn from the law. It doesn't mean that there aren't things, or rather, it doesn't mean that there are no differences between Jews and Gentiles. Galatians 3 didn't mean slavery would end, nor that women would achieve gender equality. However, Galatians 3 does mean that Paul saw Christ as a great equalizer. That Paul believed that racial and cultural attitudes of superiority had no basis. That societal and class structures creating a dominant class were wrong. And that misogyny and gender-based prejudice are incompatible with the values that Jesus taught. We can think about the truth and reconciliation in this way too. It doesn't mean that Canada has stopped struggling with the legacy from residential schools. It doesn't mean that Canadian laws and attitudes are free of prejudice and influence of colonialism. It doesn't mean we have forgotten the countless missing and murdered indigenous women and girls with families who seek and deserve answers. It doesn't mean the work is done just because we wrote it up. Now the work begins. The great promise in Galatians 3 is that in Christ all are beloved of God. Every person reflects the divine image. God knows each person by name, every hair on their head. In Jesus, every person's joys and sorrows, gifts and challenges are God's own. In the spirit, every person can know God and share God's loving spirit. In our efforts to grow in discipleship and become more Christ-like, we need to embrace this fundamental belief. Christ is the great equalizer, in that in Christ all people are image bearers of the divine, all people are beloved of God, and those truths have nothing to do with assimilation. We need to honor and respect and celebrate difference. We need to do the hard work of undoing the atrocities of the residential school system and the cultural genocide that is part of our history in Canada. I know, I know among us, and I remember feeling this way once too, thinking, well, why should I feel bad? I myself 
did not do anything wrong. I get it, but we have inherited a history here, and we are invited to do better going forward. When you know better, you do better. Wearing an orange shirt will not itself end the harm from the ongoing legacy of residential schools. That would be performative, and we will not stop there. But when we wear orange shirts, when we learn about their meaning, when we talk to others about why we're wearing them, and participate in events and activities that support truth, healing, and reconciliation, we help, we contribute to creating awareness of the individual, family, and community intergenerational impacts of the residential schools. We also witness to the truth that every child matters. For us, this isn't a Canadian belief. It's a fundamental truth of our faith. As Christians, we ought to be leading this charge. Doing so is one way among many needed to support healing. And so as you mark this day coming up on the 30th, but certainly in the time leading up to it and beyond it, reflect on the messages from today's service. Go back, re-listen to the story that Shona shared, listen to some of the prayers, go onto the Presbyterian Church in Canada's website and learn more about what we're doing as a denomination in this work. Go and read about the commission. Learn and ask yourself how you will join with people who are different from you to become one in Christ Jesus, to break the tradition that European Christians brought to this land of assimilation. People don't need to look and sound and act the same to all be beloved children of God. Consider this week how you might work to remove barriers to justice and how you might encourage the formation or participate in the formation of right relationships. We are all called and we are all equipped and by God's grace, present in the power of the Spirit, we are sent out. To God be the glory. Amen.